0: While they're figuring out the audio, turn to Yochanan Aleph, First John, and chapter 3. First John, chapter 3. And um, you'll maybe stay up here with me until we figure this out. Maybe this one too. See, you get new technology and you don't know how to use it. <laughs> Behold, what manner of Ahava love Abba has bestowed upon us. That we should not be called Benai Yahuwah. Let me correct that. See, this audio feedback, I'm not even reading correctly. That we should be called Benai Yahuwah. We're called Benai Yahuwah. Therefore, the Olam Hazer, this world, does not know us. Because it did not know him. Beloved... Now we are Benai Yahuwah, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We've been entrusted with the title, the Benai Yahuwah, the children of Yahuwah. Think about the the, the magnificence of that and the ramifications. Of that that has been bestowed upon us. The Benai Yahuwah. Because we have that title bestowed upon us. It makes us strangers to the world, does it not? Because of that very title that you and I have bestowed upon us. That marks us. And it makes us strangers to the world. Because the world is in fact what? It's Satan's family reunion. And their symbol is the skull and bones and an hourglass. And that's about all they've got, because time's running out. But for us, because we have that title, it makes us enemies and strangers to this world. Now I've got no audio up here. I can't hear. (coughs) It's creeping on the floor. That's better. Bring it back a little bit, a little further. Go and get back. Okay, I think that's good. I'm picky. But I was blowing everybody's eardrums earlier. What's that? Even his. And I have forsaked um, embracing you, brother. Because every time I embrace him, I get blasted with his (laughs) hearing aids. So I just went home to my wife and I'm like, "I am not going to hug Brother Daryl anymore. Every time I go to give him a hug, I get this like, "woo!" It's, it's quite shocking. So I got you back today. But it's really because of this title that we have been bestowed, the Benai Yahuwah, the children of Yahuwah, that we find that we're in this battle. We find that we're in this battle in the world. But we're to do righteousness in the very midst of this satanic reunion that's going on amongst us. And we see it in the politics, we hear it in the music, because it's Satan's banquet party and the world is roasting away. But what's on their table is not on our table. When they assemble and when they feast and festival, that's not our feasts and festivals. So because of that title that is bestowed upon us, that you have all had the calling to receive, it makes you a strange people in a strange land. And it permeates down into every area of your life, especially now as you assemble for the Feast of Yahuwah in this seventh month. Because the rest of the world, they're just trekking along at their satanic banquet. But you're removing yourselves for particular signs and seasons. Because these are prophetic times for us as we approach the days ahead. Because we are children that are not born of natural descent. But those that can't comprehend this, and you see this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, they give away their very parentage because they can't comprehend it, right? And that's what Yahushua did. He called them out and he called out their very parentage because they couldn't comprehend who he was. So whether you can comprehend what is being communicated in kedosha, in holiness really distinguishes your parentage, does it not? Do you see that? They err following the synagogue of Satan and human decision because they are not born of Yahuwah. They're not the Benai Yahuwah. And it's surprising right now, we are finding in this ministry that our greatest opposition is coming from the Torah doctrine peddlers themselves. Because... What's happening is they're seeing with physical eyes. Yes, they read the Torah portion week in and week out. They regurgitate the rabbinical sayings of Rashis in all of the commentaries. Yet they fail to see with eyes of faith. And that is what distinguishes B'nai Yahuwah. They see with eyes of faith. And that is what we're coming up against all the time, up right now, in the Messianic movement, is people can stumble over the Torah portion each and every week, because they're listening to the commentaries, reading the commentaries, and listening to the works of unregenerate Jews, and they see Yahushua as he was... In the historical past, they don't understand Yahushua as who he is in the very present. My heart, your heart ruling and railing because we have been converted. And they're just looking at Yahushua historically. The Talmud looks at Yahushua historically and that is not eyes of faith. And that distinguishes and identifies your very parentage right there and then. Right there and then. And that's what Yochanan is addressing to his audience here. They fail to have the vision of faith. They see him as he was. They don't see him as he is. And I see see him as he is. And I know that you see him as he is. Theologians that are unconverted—they can study all day long, write books about who he was, but they fail to see him as he is. And who is he? He is none other than the ruling, railing Malkitzedek Cohen Hagadol, holding a Torah that was established by his death penalty payment. He's restoring the children of abraham their rightful place as the children of yahweh and that's how our text opens up they're not the benai yehuda are they does it say that they're the children of judah it's not the benai yehuda does it say that they're benai levi the children of levi how about benai talmud no you see none of these things but benai Yahuwah. That is who he's calling today. Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this tikvah, this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And there's the charge. We have a charge. And this charge is what distinguishes us as children of Satan or children of Yahuwah. If you're a child of Yahuwah, you know the charge. That you are to purify from the inside out. Clean the inside of your cup. And that's the message. Otherwise, you're just a bag of dead men's bones. And that's what Yahusha communicated. If we are converted, Yahowah, then we take up the charge to purify the inside of the cup. And that's more than just doing the weekly Torah portion, is it not? That's the difference. And I'm starting to be able to look and see and go, uh-huh. You just identified who your parents are, right there and then, by your actions. You see, Yahuwah is giving us eyes to see because we have the vision of faith, because we see him as he is, not as who he was historically. That's important, but it's taking the past eschatologically and moving it into the very present. Look at verse 4. Anyone who commits sin violates the Torah. For sin is the transgression of the Torah. This is one of the verses, for many of us, I know, that called us out of lawlessness and syncretism and paganism. Because we, we knew that if we're, in, if we're lawless, then we're sinning. And we know that Yahushua didn't die to give us grace so that we could break the Torah and be in sin. But in effect, that is what the institutionalized church teaches. But this very verse right here exposes the institutionalized church. Anyone who commits sin, now sin is defined as what? Not going to church on Wednesday night? Dancing? Wearing a skirt above the knee? No. Sin is defined as violating the Torah. Plain and simple. So did Yahushua die so that you could not be keeping the Torah? Well, the institutionalized church takes this and says yes. But the scripture says no. For sin is defined as a transgression of the Torah. We know that Yehusha didn't die so that we could transgress the Torah. This verse was one of the many verses as I came into observance of the mitzvot that really, really guided me and many others. But it's been hijacked. It's been hijacked in the messianic movement to leave people into the interpretation of what Torah is by unregenerate Jews that follow a Judaism interpretation of Torah. But Torah is Yahweh's teaching and instruction within the framework of covenant. And you cannot divorce the Kohen Haggadah from the covenant that his blood enacted. And then redefine Torah outside of that. That is what the Messianic movement has done. They've redefined Torah by Judaism standards. But we're held to a higher standard because he is with us now. Because we don't see him as he was like Judaism dead and in the grave. We see him as he is, resurrected and dwelling inside of us. Therefore, Torah has to be defined within the context of the blood-ratified covenant that the Malkit Zedek Kohen Haggadah established, which is Book of the Covenant Torah. That's the framework. So now the road gets a lot narrower, doesn't it? Because you are violating the Torah if you are outside its boundaries. Outside of its boundaries on one side of the broad road is lawlessness, syncretism, and paganism. Welcome to the 21st institutionalized church of the 21st century. But on the other side of the broad road is Torah defined by Judaism that's unregenerate, that doesn't even recognize covenant framework of Yahushua, the Malkit So now the narrow road that leads to life is Malkit book of the covenant Torah that the Moshiach established. That is true Torah because it's identified by him himself today, presently. Yeah. So you've got two lawless camps. You see, what happened is many jump from syncretism and paganism And they grabbed hold of a life buoy, so they thought, thrown at them by a Messianic Jew that was drowning in the waters of Judaism's interpretation of Torah. And many people just switched religions from one lawless religion to a Judaism's form. It has a form of godliness, but it denies its power. And then going around with Torah terrorism... But Torah, outside of the covenant, is in fact what? A curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them, Galatians tells you, identified that all of the curses are in the book of the law. And if you are saying that you need to keep the book of the law in Moshiach, then you have put yourselves under a curse. There are no curses, plural, in the book of the covenant, Torah, Exodus 24 8. You see, this narrows things down. You can't excuse away the change that has been implemented in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12 plainly states that there was a change in the Torah that's always been there. Where has it always been? Right there in Genesis chapter 49 verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Shiloh until, until meaning impending change, the Messiah, Moshiach, comes, and there's your change. It's always been there in Torah, but it's only implemented by the one who has the authority to implement it. You're not changing it. The one that has the authority is implementing the change that has already been written and coded in the very Torah that you and I are to follow. You see, we cannot fall into the church or rabbinic trap of a synonymous book of the law and book of the covenant because that's the broad road that leads to destruction. It's a form of godliness, yet it denies its very power because the power is Torah, book of the covenant because that's what the blood ratified. Outside of that, you're lawless. You're lawless in syncretism and paganism on this broad road, or you're lawless with a form of godliness, rabbinic Torah, yet you deny its power. And you'll use it as a terrorist to try and what? Judge people. And that's what you have. Classic Torah terrorism. Classic. You see it everywhere. And it leads to the rabbinic Levitical hierarchy. We have to be careful, because if you fall into the church or rabbinic trap, which is the trap of a synonymous book of the law and a synonymous book of the covenant, you're actually in sin. Why are you in sin? Because they're not performing the Sabbath animal sacrifices, are they? No. They're not visiting priests in matters of judgment. So they're not, in fact, following the very unchanged Torah that they espouse. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? They're espousing an unchanged Torah, yet they're not following that unchanged Torah that demands for sacrifices on Sabbath. It demands that you go and see a priest concerning matters of judgment. You see, it's no different. It's just the theology of picking and choosing which commandments apply today based upon what? Logic and reason. Making excuses because it's not convenient Or maybe it hasn't even been constructed yet. Thus, they condemn themselves. And this is the generation that gets to witness this hypocrisy. You see, you cannot end up in either broad road of lawlessness because either you're disregarding it all in syncretism as you slither up on Santa's lap, or... You disregard it all as you embrace the rabbis and a form of godliness, yet it denies the power, which is Yahushua. If you're not rightly dividing the Torah, 2 Timothy 2.15, Hebrews 7.12 and Genesis 49.10, between the book of the covenant and the book of the law, you're still in sin and you've put yourself under a curse. It's no different than if you were in the church. You've just joined a Jewish religion instead of a Christian religion. You see that? Galatians 3.10 For as many are as the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse it is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law, thus identified to do them. It's amazing. Look at verse 5. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever stays in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Now, this is a text that you have to weigh in the balance because there's a notable tension, isn't there? Very notable right here between this very verse, chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, and if you remember, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And now how do you reconcile this tension? Well, let me bring you back to chapter 1, verse 8, so that you can be refreshed on what the tension is. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the emet, the truth, is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, now you can remember, you're reminded, refreshed, of the tension between chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. It's a very noticeable tension. So there's six interpretations here I want to give you as we go through and try and unravel this. Number one, is he talking about habitual versus occasional sin? Is that the context? Number two, is it really between the idealistic view and the realistic view? Is that the tension? Because idealistically, we would, we would never sin. But realistically, we know that we fall. So is that the tension? Number three. Is it between the already and the not yet distinction? Meaning, Yes, he is already with us, but he really has not yet returned. And is that the distinction between the empowerment of already and not yet? Does that make sense? And then, of course, we have the fourth distinction. Was this just a quotation and a slogan that the successionists were trumping out? Is that what it's talking about? Or... Number five, are we dealing specifically with sin and anomia? Anomia, which is really nails it down to this is satanic rebellion. Anomia. Is that the distinction? Or the sixth term interpretation, is this all about abiding moment by moment? I would go with the sixth interpretation, abiding and moment by moment. Let me give you some clarity on that. You see, because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to have an ongoing acknowledgement of our sins, don't we? We really do. We have to confess. We have to receive forgiveness. And we have to receive that inner cleansing for our unrighteousness. That's what Yahushua communicated about cleaning the inside of our cup, and it is a moment-by-moment basis, isn't it? But the moment that you fall into sin, that is the moment that you stepped away from abiding with him, correct? So you're abiding with him is moment by moment. The moment that you fall into sin, you are not abiding with Yahushua at that moment, are you? And if you continue to do that, and it becomes habitual, then you become lost because you will never have abided in him at all. You see, and that's the moment by moment understanding and interpretation. Because truly, we are have to be in this continual reliance of abiding in Yahusha. A reliance upon Yahusha and abiding in him in the hour of temptation and trial. When that temptation comes upon me, that hour of trial, am I going to continue to abide in him and resist the temptation? Or am I going to depart from abiding in him and fall into temptation, succumb to it and sin? If I do, I've departed from the abiding way, have I not? Does that make sense? Because by abiding in him, we can have the ability to avoid any given sinful deed. And that is what's meant by resisting sin. If you and I abide in him, don't you believe that we can resist any sin? I believe it. Any sin we can resist if we continue to abide in him. But the moment we depart from the abiding, then... So, it's both a repeated matter of choice and an intermittent one, is it not? So, this view is a moment-by-moment moment view. I believe interpretation six, that's what I believe. So the moment you sin, you stop abiding in Messiah at that very point. If this becomes a pattern, a pattern of your behavior, well, you don't know Yahuwah anymore, right? And you can see the tension with chapter 3, verse 6. Because in one place, Yochanan seems to reject sinless perfection, yet... In another, he assumes it. And this is how many people over the years have had so many problems with the epistles of 1 John. So let's look at Yokonon's rejection of sinless perfection with six particular texts. Six particular texts that deal with Yochanan's rejection of sinless perfection. Number one is chapter 1, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. Number two, the second text that rejects sinless perfection is chapter 1 verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The third is chapter 1 verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Number four is chapter two, verse four. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. He doesn't keep his mitzvot. He is a liar and the truth is not in him. And number five is chapter two, verse six. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Yahusha did. And finally, the sixth text that rejects sinless perfection is chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, no, he's still in the darkness. But look at the commonality with each of these texts. Because if you examine each of these six texts, begins with an introductory formula, does it not? Look at it. Well, if we claim, right? The man who says. Whoever claims. So each text begins with an introductory formula followed by a statement of what's claimed. Then, in three particular texts, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verses 4, And chapter 2, verses 9, there's a description of the related behavior which is inconsistent with the claim. Look at it. Yet you walk in darkness, but does not do his commands, but hates his brother. You see the description of the related behavior that's inconsistent with the claim? And this is how it works. Yet you can find in chapter 2, verse 6, it describes the sort of behavior that should accompany such claims. Whoever claims to live in him, then he must walk as Yahushua did. So that's the kind of behavior that should accompany such claims. But now in the next three texts, chapter 1, verse 6, Chapter 2, verse 4, and verse 9. Those that make such claims without the supporting behavior are found to be, they're just lying mamas. You can't believe them, right? You lying mama. I love saying that. (laughs) Because they're still in the bloody darkness, right? That's a wrong way to live. Finally, in the two final two texts, chapter 1, verses 6 and verse 10, no appropriate related behavior is mentioned. And the claim itself is said to be inappropriate, and it makes them out to be lying mamas. You see, it's okay to claim that you have fellowship with Yahuwah. It's okay to claim that you know him. It's okay for you to claim that you abide in him. And that you abide in the light. But two of the six claims, well, they're just totally unacceptable. It's never okay to claim you have no sin and that you have not sinned. It's okay to claim intimacy with Yahuwah as long as your behavior does not invalidate such claim. And that's what we do. We look at the behavior and by their fruits, you shall know them. But the claim to have not sinned ever, well, that's just not appropriate. And that's what Yochanan is dealing with, with the secessionists. The secessionists, they're making claims to be without sin, which are alien, they're pagan, and they're just bloody hypocritical. Right? And that's what we see with many of the Eastern religions. They make that claim. They make that claim. So what do we learn from these texts? Perfection is, in fact, intimacy with Yahuwah, which is based upon cleansing from sin, not a complete absence of sin. It's cleansing from sin. Cleansing from sin. If you abide in him, you'll be safely encamped in covenant Torah where the curses of the book of the law, well, they just can't penetrate, can they? Because you're abiding in covenant Torah, meaning you're safely restored under his wings of protection. You know those wings of protection that were promised to the assembly at Charsinai, Mount Sinai, Exodus nineteen four and 24, verse 7. The safe place to be is in the book of the covenant Torah. It always was, where you will be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. You see, in the Septuagint, the LXX, Anomia anomia translates about 20 different Hebrew words, and it's synonymous with hamartia, Hamartia. Anomia has satanic associations. Satanic associations. Those who have gone over to the synagogue of Satan are in fact anomia. They are doing a form of Torah, godliness, yet denying its power. The Zedek Kohen Hagadol and the blood-ratified covenant that he established. You see, if you look at Samuel Second Samuel chapter twenty-two verse five and Psalm seventeen verse four. You'll see the satanic association with anomia and chamatia. It's satanic, and the Scripture defines those that are practicing, practicing such are associated with Belial. Those of the synagogue of Satan bring about wickedness through Satan and through his ministering ruachim, spirits. And they are not the children of Yahuwah, but the children of iniquity. And even in the Qumran Scrolls, 1QS, it talks about this. You see, because they're in fact aiding and abetting the construction of their master's house. And that's the generation that you and I have to discern who are the sheep and who are the goats. They're all white and fluffy. They have a form of godliness. But their parentage is identified by their very behavior and what they want to construct. Verse 7. Is it hot in here? I see ladies with fans going, now, who was telling me, I've been watching some of those great old English shows, that there's certain language that you can communicate with how you um, fiddle with your fan. Was that you, Andrea? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to learn that language. Because I think that would be fun. You could be like, you know, doing like this kind of thing. And, and then there was this kind of thing. And then there was this kind of thing. (laughs) No, there's a whole language, really. You think I'm messing around? I'm telling you, that's a lost language right there. Yes. (laughs) Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who does zadikha is zadik just as he is tzaddik, righteous. He who sins is of Satan. For Satan has sinned from Bereshit, the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Yahuwah was manifested, that he might destroy the works of Satan. Whoever has been born of Yahuwah does not sin, for his zirah seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of Yahuwah. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the key to resolving the tension between chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, and chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, is, of course, Yochanan. The book of John, chapter 8, verse 34. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins, pascho poin hamatian, is a slave to sin. That's how you resolve the tension. Because the Greek word here, poin hamatian, means to habitually sin. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 9, should be understood in the same way you habitually sin by remaining stiff-necked in a broken covenant state, right? All the Torah in the world isn't going to help you if you're under the curse of the works of the book of the law or lawlessness on the other side of the broad road in pagan, ritual, syncretic customs. You've got two broad roads, it's Just like when Balaam was there and he went on the narrow road and there was a vineyard to his left and a vineyard to his right. And what you've got is you've got a bunch of lawless syncretism in one vineyard throwing grapes at Messianic, Talmudic, Ashkenazi, sons of Japheth in another vineyard and they're throwing grapes at one another. In the meantime, you and I need to duck on the narrow road and we'll have be confronted by the Malach Yahuwah, the angel of Yahuwah on the narrow path. But we've just got to duck all those clusters of grapes that have been thrown, right? Because you and I are getting caught in the crosshairs. You don't find home in syncretism and paganism, and you don't want to slither up onto Santa's lap anymore. Yet, I don't want to slither up onto some perverted rabbi's lap either, Amen. right? Amen. And if you think that I'm joking... Don't read the Talmud, because I would never endorse that. But my goodness, it endorses child abuse in the very pages of the Talmud. And you wonder why so many orthodox Haradim get into trouble with molestation. Because it's endorsed right within the pages of the Talmud. So, narrow road it is. The secessionists were claiming to have no sin, and Yokanan. well, he was rejecting their claim. Because we live in the midst of this eschatological tension in relation to sin. Yes, we're already free from sin once we come into covenant faith, right? I was delivered from sin the moment that I was converted. Yet I have not fully attained it yet until I'm raised incorruptible and changed in the twinkling of an eye, but I look forward to it. Yes, I have been delivered from sin, yet I have not yet fully embraced it or attained it better. There is an eschological tension in my life as there is in your life. That's what he's talking about. And you and I, our life is to be lived out within this eschatological tension of conversion and deliverance from sin, yet you have not fully attained it because you have not been transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And that is the tension that you and me live in this life. And it is a tension. Because sinning used to be fun, didn't it? And now... If you were to do that, you would be convicted and you would be in torment and you'd be like, this is awful. How could I have even thought this was fun? I used to have so much fun when I was lost because I didn't understand that consequences would lead to death. But now, if I were to do those things, I would be squirming and convicted because I know, to him who know it, sin." It is sin. It's an eschatological tension. I just, on the way to congregation today, I looked over to my left, and there was a sheep with its foot stuck in the fence with with another little sheep right next to it. And I knew I had a responsibility there to do something. So I climbed over the barbed wire, and my son went and got a fence clipper. And we got the, fe- the, the sheep out of the fence. And I looked right there at that situation. And I'm like, once upon a time, this very situation would have been paradise for me. Because the sheep had just got into my neighbor's foreplanter allowed in Oregon. The sheep, I think, was stoned. Because they'd eaten all of his weed. <laughs> and I'm like... Once upon a time, this would have, I would have been in there with the sheep. But now, no. The sheep was stoned, I'm sure of it, and just was stumbling out and got its... I mean, he'd eaten the plants all the way up as far as it could stand on its hind legs. I mean, I'm sure Peter would have a problem with that. You know? But that's what I'm saying to an Englishman who grew up in the 70s and 80s. Man, to find a field of weed and it's right next door to me, that's paradise in a sinful fallen state. But now, I know what that, the consequence of that is. I don't want to return to my mother's basement for the rest of my life and be unemployed, right? Not a good choice. So it doesn't tempt me. But that's the eschatological tension. Because 14-year-old Matthew would have been, woohoo. hoo See? Anyway, let's move on past me and my sin. Anomia. It's the sin that distinguishes the children of Tan. Is the sin of Tan? Rebellion. Anomia. The sin... For you and I, that sin is impossible for believers to commit once they have committed to the book of the covenant Torah because that is ratified by the blood of Yahushua and you're brought into his very, very present and his seed, Yahuwah's seed, remains in us and we cannot commit it. We cannot commit it. But as with Cain, as with Cain, sin it's crouching. It's crouching at your door. And its desire. its desire is for you. And I know you feel it. Its desire is for you. But you can master it. But if you bring in the wrong sacrificial offering to the wrong altar, guess what? Your guilt is upon you. So if you trot your life off to this sacrificial altar and bring the sacrifice that the Messianic movement is going to say is good, which is in cahoots with Judaism, then guess what? Your guilt, that's on you. So... You need to understand what offering you're going to bring because it's crouching at the very door, sin, and its desire is for you and it is going to have a form of Torah yet it's going to deny its very power and you're all going to go traipsing up onto the temple mount which is the Anatonia Roman fortress and you're going to be in cahoots with the Sanhedrin and cahoots with Judaism and every apostate form of it unregenerate to the core. And offer that sacrifice on that altar? Well, we have an altar outside of the gates that those that partake in that, they have no right to eat of. That's the sacrifice and the altar that I'm going to go to because I've been converted and I live within an eschological tension. But I know that that's the calling. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In this, the benign Yahuwah, the children of Yahuwah, and the children of Satan, they're plainly manifest, aren't they? Plainly manifest. Whoever, whoever does not do zadakha righteousness is not of Yahuwah, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from Bereshit, the beginning that we should love one another. We should love one another. And I need to go down a little little rabbi trail here, because it's time for me to address the closet liberals. You wouldn't think we'd have to deal with this, but we do. There are closet liberals in our very midst, because they believe that when I expose error and name names, that I'm just not loving. That is so unloving that you called that man out on the synagogue of Satan and the fake Jewish genealogy. That's not loving. Closet liberal mentality permeating our congregations and permeating Torah. People are afraid to expose errors because they're they're afraid of being judged as too harsh or uncaring themselves. That's what it is. So what do they do? They remain silent. That's called cowardice from where I come from. That's cowardice. You've been affected by teachers who teach in the shadows, banking on the hope that believers won't have the stomach to stand up, take a risk, and expose them by shining the light in the darkness. We're to make judgments and judge people all the time. That's what we're supposed to do. Corinthia Oliph, 1 Corinthians, chapter five, verse one. Shaul he judged. He judged the man, and he told the congregation at Corinth that they were to judge. Corinthia Oliph chapter 1 chapter 5 verses 1 look in verse 3 you see it right there but the thing is these liberals they rip out of context matthew chapter 7 judge not that you may not be judged that isn't saying that you aren't to make a judgment it's talking about not making a hypocritical judgment That's all. Look at verses 2 through 5. Later on in verse 15, it's written, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. How can you beware and identify false prophets if you don't make a judgment and judge people? You've got to know who are the false prophets. How can we fail to examine the words of these ravening wolves? And that's what I do. Examine these ravening wolves. All, all through the scripture we find proof that they should be identified, and they should be called out by name Amen. and they should Amen. be marked. Amen. Yet, we get male after well, Brother Matthew's unloving. That's not manifesting the love of the brethren. It's this liberal mentality that has affected our very, very consciences. Judging is the mark of a true believer. Because I judge, I am a true believer, and that identifies me as a true believer. Hebrews 5.14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between both good and evil they judge between good and evil they're discerning they're discriminating oh those are words that just the liberal you discriminated Yes, I discriminated that you're living evil and practicing evil. Yes. I mean, I had to walk away from a street brawl this week. I did. It would have been a street brawl if I hadn't walked away. I got two Planned Parenthood lads came up to me with pink shirts. I mean, you don't want to start talking to me about Planned Parenthood because it's going to end up in a street brawl. So I'm like, you know, I could engage here and get out the sword, but I'm feeling the flat. i got to walk on right now. I mean, they're just deceived. They're buying it up. Hook, line, and sinker out there with their petitions. You and I know what Planned Parenthood is. is all about. We know what it's all about. And if I engage that in conversation... It's not going to go well for them. But then my witness might not be good as everybody else is looking. See, so I had to keep on walking. (laughs) You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree? Well, it brings forth evil fruit. The only way you, you can fulfill this scripture is by what? Judging. John seven twenty four. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge righteous judgment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of Yahuwah, because many false Nevin prophets have gone out into the world. In Ephesus, they were commended They were commended in Ephesus, Revelations 2, Revelation 2, chapter 2. Tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them out to be liars. So don't get all bent out of shape with me when I try those who say they're Jews and they're not and I find them out to be liars. Publicly. Don't get bent out because I chose to call it out. We're to be commended for doing such things. But people shrink back for fear of condemnation. In Pergamos, they were rebuked. Because they tolerated those that hailed, held, excuse me, to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You know that Nicolaitan pyramid of hierarchy, where you've got the one up here and then you've got all the Munchkins down here? Exactly. You're to call it out. They were commended They're because we are to judge. Because if we don't judge, guess what? We'll be judged. That's right. We'll be judged if we don't judge. If we let talit-wearing talmudim and liars continue unabated, we have an obligation to expose them and have them tried by the word of Yahuwah. And you can see it for what it is. Romans 16 verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. It doesn't say, don't mark those that are apostate, synagogue of Satan, and are proven to be liars. It doesn't say that. It says those that are opposing the true doctrine, correct? You see, we are to mark them, marked and to be avoided, which requires discernment and judgment. Titus chapter 1, verse 13. Wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Ephesians 5:11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove means to censor, to condemn, find fault. You rebuke and you refute them. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Master Yahusha Hamashiach, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. Yeah. And not after the tradition which you have received from us. We're to withdraw from those whose doctrine and conduct doesn't conform to the word of Yahuwah. Yeah. We're to withdraw from them, not have fellowship. Oh, they may have a form of godliness, but denying the power from such turn away for such people are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 yeah. Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. The only way, the only way that we can turn away from such people is because we identified the people by judging them in the very first place and we judged their message, Correct. You see, if you're inviting a teacher into your home through the internet, you need to judge them. And that includes me first. You need to, before you receive them. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive them not into your house, neither bid them your speed, for he that biddeth him your speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Second John Verses 10 and 11. How many people just switch on the internet and then don't judge the people that they're inviting into their home? Every wind of doctrine. You've got to be discerning in this technological age because there are people that are going to the left and going to the right. And if you're not following scripture, if you're off on some little carrot trail outside of the word of Yahuwah, you're going to headlong into destruction. This is the final revelation. There is no new revelation, secret mystical code. Okay? Golden tablets. There isn't. This is the revelation that Yahuwah has for his people. We have a charge to read it, discern it, and implement it but we're not going to go off after some funky document that someone unearthed in, um, you know, a latrine somewhere. But it does get that ridiculous. It really does. Moshe, he called out the name of Balaam. He named him right there in front of the congregation. Peter exposed the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. John He named Diotrephes in 3 John chapter, um, 3 John we see in verse 9. I write unto the church of Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. He named him right there. Because there's this whole thing. Well, you shouldn't mention another teacher's name. You shouldn't mention their name. Can't we not mention their name? It's much better if we don't mention their name. Paul named Peter publicly Galatians 2:11 through 14 but when Peter was come to Antioch I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed when I saw that they walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Yehudi, livest in the manner of the nations, and not as the Yahudim, why compellest thou the nations to live as the Yahudim? Named him right in front of the body. Paul he called Demas for loving the world. He called him right out. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Second Timothy, chapter four, verse ten. Paul he named Hermenius and Alexander. Paul told Timothy to war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith have made shipwreck of whom is Hermenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. He called them out, he named them and he claimed them as being what? The children of Satan. First Timothy chapter one verse eighteen. Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen. Paul named Herminius and Felatus. He told Timothy to study that he might be able to rightly defy the word of truth, but shun profane and vain and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their word will eat. As doth a canker, of whom is Hyminius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrown the faith of some. 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. Paul named Alexander the coppersmith, he named him Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil yeah. that Yahweh reward him according to his works. Or who be thou where also? For he hath greatly withstood our words. And there I stand too. I have named them and attributed them to the synagogue of Satan and found them out to be liars. You see, using the love doctrine to try and coerce and silence me, it just didn't work. And it shouldn't have worked. Because when I read the scriptures, I'm not going to draw back with you taking a text out of context and creating a pretext for your liberal dribble. And that's what it is. Liberal dribble. Because... I see the heinous perversions that have infiltrated the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement, and it's a tactic of the Luciferic realm. And we must stand against it. And by naming and by identifying, people are able to discern and mark. And that is an important charge. And we have Sukkot coming up. We have Sukkot coming up. I'm going to have to do the same thing there because if I don't, then I will be judged as you will. You cannot come to our Sukkot, Acts chapter 15, if you are involved in sexual immorality. If you approve of those and you have not publicly condemned those, that are involved in sexual immorality, then Romans chapter 1 and 2 says you are then guilty as such yourselves. And you're not allowed to come into the body of fellowship, abstain from sexual immorality. You have to abstain from meat that has been sacrificed to idols. You can't be going and bowing down to Buddha and slithering up on Father Christmas' lap and come to the feast of Yahuwah because that is just meat that's sacrificed to a goat demon. And you can't be in the body and do that. And you have to abstain from things that are strangled and blood. That is not only what you eat, but it is how you prepare your marriage bed. And finally, we should all be looking into the teachings and instructions of Yahuwah. And if we do those four things, we can come together. But if I've counseled you, then I have a responsibility to ask you if you are in compliance with Acts 15. And if you're not, and if you're condoning those that are in those lifestyles and you haven't haven't publicly condemned them, you are not welcome to come to Sukkot. And if I don't stand, then I will be judged too. Though I have to make the judgment. Please don't try and transpose your liberal love doctrine on me. Because I have to be held accountable. So, these are things that we must consider. We have to take responsibility for our actions. Because we want a clean camp. That's what Sukkot's about. It's about having a clean and orderly camp. Romans 1 and 2. If you approve of those that do such things and you haven't publicly condemned them, then you are guilty as if you'd done it yourself. And that is how we are to live ourselves, live our lives. So some of you may be getting a phone call from me, especially if you've had counseling from me this year, and I've canceled many. So these are important things to consider because look, as we finish up, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were Zadik. We're to do the works of tzaddikah, Malkit Zedek, righteous works. Do not marvel, verse 13, my Israelite brothers, if the olam hazer, this world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to haim life because we have ahava, love for the Israelite brothers. Who does not love his brother stays in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal Chaim life abiding in him. By this, we know that we have Ahava love. Because he laid down his Chaim, his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our Chaim, our life, for our Israelite brothers. But whoever has this Olam's necessities, this world's necessities, and sees his brother in need and shuts his lev, his heart, from him, how does the ahava, the love of Yahuwah, live in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but we're to love in mitzvot and in emet truth. And by this we know that we are in the emet, and shall establish our leaven, our heart before him. For if our heart condemns us, Yahweh is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. All right. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards Yahweh. Meaning, don't close your hand to those that are in need. But we are to extend our hand and to walk out the true love of the brethren. Amen. 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 Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. comments, questions at all? Yes, brother in the back. Yes, yes, Um, the uh, verse for morality is Marsa Lechim, the book of Acts chapter 15, and let me get that for you, right there. Acts chapter 15, verses 6 through 22, gives you the, um, specifically verses 18 through 22, gives you the specific requirements for general fellowship, um, the four requirements for general fellowship, and then Romea, Romans, um, let me give you that, will tell you, um, those of you that approve of those, even though you may not do that yourself, if you know that somebody is in adultery, if you know that somebody is living the way that they shouldn't be, and you have not called them out, then you approve of such things, you condemn yourself. And I believe we'll find that in um, Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verses 17. So it is an extremely important time that when we come into the camp of Yahuwah, uh, is Moadim, that we're not just doing it willin, willy-nilly, but it is a time of kerushah, of keeping a clean camp. And we have a responsibility. If you know something about a brother or a sister, you need to call them out and judge it. If you don't, then you will be judged. And likewise, I have to do the same thing. Does it make me feel uncomfortable? Of course it does. But oftentimes when I'm uncomfortable, that's a sign that I'm doing the work of Yahuwah. Because every time that I've been called to a great work, it has been of great discomfort. But if you just turn the other cheek, there's a text out of context for you. And not judge, then you will be guilty too. Because we aren't going camping. We're going to the feasts of Yahuwah. It's a distinction. Amen? Amen? Amen. Brother Steve in the back. Safely navigated the technology. Let's give Brother Steve and uh, Yochanan Jonathan hiding there with the sweat beads. a so good, good job, fellas. It was you. touch and go there for a bit. But uh, we only lost a few eardrums, and you didn't have any to begin with. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: we, we do have two questions from the internet audience. Okay. Um, the first one is: uh, Do we actually have a list of what the Melchizedek? Um, I guess they say laws, um, but what you know rules we are actually guided by? Is there a list that we would kind of uh, know of? That's the first question.
0: Well, that's an excellent thing. We are planning on updating and rebuilding the website, so we should do that. We should charge Sylvia if she's watching to uh, make that fabulous list from Bereshit one one all the way through to Shemot twenty four eleven. And um, that would be amazing, and I guarantee there will not be 613 commandments.
1: Um, The second question I have is, um, do you hold to a Calvinistic, like, elect predestination view, or can a believer's name be
0: removed from the Book of Life? Well, yeah, it can be blotted out, but it's not erased. If you erase something out, then there's room to um, re-enter something in. But if you blot it out and smear it, then you're not re-entering anything in. But there is this you know, dichotomy, of course, between the two views. And I believe that we do see through a glass dimly and that you have to weigh the balance because, you know, are we saved? Yes. But are we to work out our salvation in fear and trembling? Have we fully attained it? No. So, you know, this is an eschatological truth and paradigm that we dwell in and that there is included in that, I believe. There is this tension there is this tension. But it's the tension that, is, that I believe keeps us driving towards the finish line, right? It's the tension. <sighs> the internet community just
1: wants to express to you um, their appreciation of you staying on the truth and uh, they're aware of even, you know, where people now are copying pieces out of your YouTubes and posting them and trying to discredit you. And they just want you to know they're lifting you up in prayer and for the whole you. community here, you know, for everyone that uh, yes. we need to stay to the truth and the message.
0: Amen. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. It's, an, it's, an, it's a amazing to see how many people are waking up to this. And it's, it's exciting it truly is, but we do have to walk forward with fear and trembling, especially as we approach the seventh month, because this is Yahweh's time of really defining this age, I believe, as we come into election time, as we come into this seventh month. We have one more question.
1: Yeah.
0: I, was Kiss the up, microphone. I had the
2: same thought as you in the Scripture when you mentioned that Roman 2nd chapter. Uh, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judges, and never thou condemnest thyself, for for there that judges, for thou that judges doeth the same things. And that kind of brought me to a picture where uh, the log and the stick in the eye, you try to pull, pull that little stick out of that guy's eye. And so here we look at our own self on that. We got a log that blinds our eyes to our own faults, and we're trying to condemn the other dude with the little speck in his own eye. says, you know, recognize your own faults about yourself. Do you, Are you doing this adulterer or what down the scenes, you know, the commandments of God? Are you doing this and not even recognize it, that you're doing it? You know, recognize this and pull it out of your eye before you can help the brother with this little thing in his life. You know? And so I can see within this statement of Romans, you know, before we go around condemning people, let's look like at our own selves first. You know, let's get that out of the way. You know, put off the old band, put on the new band of Christ. Amen. You know, before we can help somebody else.
0: Amen. Good. Let's close in prayer. Abba, we thank you so much, Abba, for this Shabbat. We thank you, Abba, that we can come and assemble ourselves together. Prepare our Levim, our hearts, for the days ahead. And take your word, Abba, and implant it and engraft it unto us. We pray in Yahusha's mighty name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen.